Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the podcast. We greatly appreciate your support. But before we get started, I wanted to tell you about a success story. I wanted to tell you about my friend Carl up in New Boston, Michigan. He listens to our pods every week and he heard me talking about how I might be able to help him out. So he hit me up over at savewithconrad.com. He just closed last month and he left us a five-star review and he had this to say. Not only did we save over $100,000 on our mortgage by removing several years off of it, he also saved us a few months of payments. In follow-up, Conrad and Steve are super helpful when I had additional questions. You can't go wrong here with Save with Conrad. Definitely worth the call to understand what your savings could be. Take Carl's word for it. He saved more than a hundred grand. What have you got to lose? Be like Carl. Go to SaveWithConrad.com right now and find out how much money you can save for free. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And if we can't help you save some cash, we won't waste your time. But because we're licensed in more than 40 states, we can help more families than ever before. Why not you? Why not now? Go to SaveWithConrad.com and find out how much money you can save for free. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? Get a quick quote right now. Thank me later and you'll be glad you did. SaveWithConrad.com. Conrad Thompson, welcome to AEW YouTube for something a little different. For the first time ever, we've got Tony Khan and Eric Bischoff here in a conversation as we preview Fight for the Fallen, and we're so excited. It goes down this Wednesday. You don't want to miss it. It's Dynamite live on TNT at 8 p.m. Eastern, and we have got a lot to get into. But first, Eric Bischoff, can you believe we're here on AEW YouTube? This is a happening right here, my friend. All all good things come to those who wait. That's all I got to say. <laughs> Thank you guys both for doing this. It's uh, Eric. We never met. This is, I mean, we haven't met in person still, but this is great. And I, uh, this is the first time I've had a chance to talk to you and I really appreciate you coming and doing this and helping us raise awareness of uh, fight for the fallen and the charity uh, component of it, which is uh, so important to us. Thank you. I really appreciate it guys. No, I'm, and I'm, I'm happy to be here. And by the way, Tony, I thought this, at one point that we actually did have a pretty long conversation about a year and a half ago, I was at a hotel in Los Angeles and I got this phone call, a message from Tony Khan <laughs> asking me to meet him 
at a hotel, which was not not too far from the hotel I was staying at in, in Los Angeles. And I think, well, this is going to be badass. I can't wait to do this. But I thought, mm, I don't know, man. It's a little different because I wasn't sure it was you. So I called Conrad. I said, Conrad, I just got a phone call from Tony Khan. What is? You think this is legit? He said, no, brother, it's not legit. <laughs> this is Tony's number, and that's not Tony's number. So finally, finally, after a year and a half or two years, we get to have a conversation. This is great. I really appreciate you coming and uh, doing this and giving us a chance uh, to preview preview the show. And we're just uh, off the top, I'd be remiss not to bring up uh, the charitable component of what we're doing. That at AEWFightForTheFallen.com, uh, we're taking donations to the Jacksonville, uh, excuse me, to Florida's First Coast Fund and to uh, Relief, also to the Feeding Northeast Florida Fund. Uh, and these two funds, my family uh, in March made a c- contribution of a million dollars to these two charities, uh, trying to get out in front when COVID first spread. And now uh, we're hoping everybody will uh, follow up. And last year, Conrad was at Fight for the Fallen, and we gave uh, – Oh, 125,000, I believe, uh, from the proceeds of the show. And we had a great crowd of 5,000 people and a big gate. And uh, we, the ticket proceeds uh, funded our donation this year. There were no ticket proceeds and COVID's hitting us all in the face. So uh, that's why we made this donation in March. That's why we're asking people now, if you could please, uh, either at awfightforthefallen.com or at Pro Wrestling Tees, we're selling a uh, Fight for the Fallen t-shirt. It's a beautiful t-shirt. Uh, and uh, it's the number one selling t-shirt on uh, Pro Wrestling Tees right now. And uh, please, like, uh, you know, c- please consider uh, doing that. And and uh, to thank everybody, today is actually, as we're taping this, is the one-year anniversary of the first Fight for the Fallen. Conrad was there and helped host the show with us. And I thought it would be really cool a year later, since with COVID, it's harder for people to travel. If we got back together which is why I, I asked Conrad if we could do this. And uh, it really means a lot. Thanks, Eric, for, for doing this. I appreciate Happy it. Happy to do it, my friend. Happy to do it. Thanks. Uh, it's really cool. And uh, I, I would also be remiss if I did not say that uh, – so I did an interview in the Financial Times, and it was the week of the Super Bowl, and I was on my dad's boat. And I talked to a, a really nice guy from the Financial Times for about an hour, and he asked me about the wrestling business. I felt like a lot of his questions were trying to stoke – uh, a AEW, uh, WWE war conversations. And I felt like he wanted me to say stuff that was like, you know, uh, big headline stuff. And I, I didn't give him much there. And then he started to ask me business questions since it's the financial times. And, uh, I love talking about wrestling business and I would be remiss if I didn't, I just wanted to be caught in front. I, there was the stuff that went in the financial times was stuff. I said on the back end of this interview about the fall of WCW. And I think you saw that and you're like, what the hell, Tony? Why would you say that? And I've been involved in, all, in sports and businesses long before AEW. So I've been doing this a year. But I could see if you read that, if I was like at Fulham and I saw somebody say, I would be super pissed. And just so you know, like I and over the course of this conversation, I'm sure it'll come across. I'm such a huge fan of your work and you're such an incredible innovator in the business. And I wouldn't be here and there would not be an AEW without you. And there would not be wrestling on TNT right now without you. You gave me the opening to talk to the president of TNT and talk about the previous success you'd had on his network, which he didn't realize because it's been 20 years. uh, And he, you know, he was obviously not at TNT or TBS or or Warner Media when this was happening, when WCW was such a huge entity. And so uh, 
I will talk a lot about it, but I had given that reporter uh, about 20 minutes of buildup about how huge your business was and how far you'd taken the business from 93, 94, and then 96, 97, 98, 99, and kind of what happened in those years. And I think he only talked about stuff from 99 to 2001, but I would have loved to have been printed about how big your business was when you know, you're running domes every single week and, uh, and not just in 96 and 97, but during the, really 1998, which to me is, you know, we're watching the last dance and I was very appropriate. I thought that we saw, uh, I was happy to see uh, DDP and hear Tony Schiavone selfishly, but it was so cool to see Nitro uh, because I don't think you can talk about 1998 without, it was su- such an important cultural phenomenon. And I'm sorry if it came across like uh, I didn't think, uh, that that way because I definitely think that and uh, I'm just such a huge believer in uh, what you built. So thank you. No, no, no worries, Tony. And just so you know, you know, I like to have fun with comments. Conrad has taught me, you know, over the last couple of years, not only to have fun with comments, like you know, someone will make and 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 it happens when you inter- you know when someone interviews you, especially somebody that's looking to stir the pot. They're going to take out little bites of what you said and not really put it into context. And it's going to end up sounding something different than what you really intended. So, so I'm, I'm really used to that. But Conrad is now, he's really changed my life in so many ways. And probably the most profound way that Conrad has changed my life is he's taught me how to take comments or things that have been taken out of context and turn them into t-shirts and make money. So I'm good with it, brother. I'm good That's with great. it. Well, it's, it's so- and now, now I've, I've, I've been looking forward to this chance to talk about it. Now, Fight for the Fall. And I thought, like I said, uh, today is the one-year anniversary, and we got this show this week. And what better uh, occasion would it be to get together the president of AEW with the president of WCW? And I don't think there's really anybody in the world so much of my life I can relate to about my weekly life. And probably you, too. I really don't know if there's anybody else that you could probably relate to what I go through on a weekly basis uh, than me. So, like, that's why I thought it would be fun for us to talk about a lot of this stuff. And Conrad, uh, on short notice, put together, uh, I guess, some fun questions about uh, AEW and WCW and and stuff we've both done. All right. Let's have some fun, man. Well, before before we get to it, we should remind everybody, the reason we're here, of course, fight for the fall. And just to reiterate what Tony said right at the top, you can make a donation at AEWFightForTheFallen.com. And this entire show is to benefit Florida's first coast relief fund and the feeding Northeast Florida, that whole initiative. Uh, and the cons, of course, as he mentioned, kicked it off with a million dollar donation back in March, but now you can join in at awfightforthefallen.com. And of course that shirt is front and center over at shopaew.com. Uh, you'll see the COVID mask right in the center. 100% of the proceeds from that shirt go directly to support this initiative uh, so be sure to pick up a shirt over at uh, shopaew.com. It's I should have worn the shirt. I should have worn the shirt. I don't know what I'm saying. It's a great shirt, please. <laughs> I should have. I should have worn the jacket. I'm, you know, here at my office. I should have thrown that on. It's a cool shirt. The only thing more uh, impressive than the shirt is the card on top. It's going to be John Mexley, John Moxley. Easy for me to say, defending his AEW championship against Brian Cage, who now thanks the Taz has the FTW championship in his possession. Uh, this is a, a big time headline attraction. We we thought we were going to get it a couple of weeks ago. COVID has changed the world. It's finally happening this Wednesday. Eric, you're familiar with these two performers. Who you got? 
You know, I'm, I'm much more familiar with John Moxley, obviously. So you know, my natural inclination is to go with what I know. Um, so I'm, you know, by default, I'm going to have to go with who I'm more familiar with and that's not fair and it sucks and I'm sorry, but that's what I got to do. Well, you know, it's a, a AW's YouTube. So we go and reaching a broad audience, but peeling back the curtain a little bit, just to, to give you a better idea about Brian Cage and Taz and their partnership. Uh, Brian's somebody I hugely believe in and, uh, we hugely believe in he's come in and, and made such a huge impact here. And really, uh, Brian, uh, is a guy who looks like, uh, one of the biggest, baddest guys in wrestling. He's got muscles in places where most people don't have places, but also wrestles, uh, Lucha Libre style and can do all the exciting power moves. Like Brian would be the ultimate video game wrestler. Uh, and, uh, that's why they call him the machine because he's like, he looks like a prime, WCW powerhouse, but with the ability to wrestle like a cruiserweight. And that's, uh, can I jump in there a little bit, Conrad? Yeah. Cause that, I mean, that's one of the fun things about watching the product today. And I'm going to be straight with you, Tony and everybody else watching this. I, I cannot sit and watch two hours of, of almost anything, but especially wrestling in front of no crowd. I drop in, I read about, I hear about, um, through the grapevine or through social media, certain things that, that peak, you know, pique my interest and I tune into them. Um, but I don't sit down and, you know, really watch two or three hours of, of anything sure. um, for that matter. But I did check out Brian Cage and I did read about him and I read about, you know, the, the FTW title and the backstory and all that. And it's so fun. One of the fun things about watching the product today and we'll probably talk more about this throughout this this show. But everything evolves. Tony, you know, you forgot more about football than I'll ever know. But the game of football, you know, I'm 65 years old. I've been watching football since I was 8 or 10 years old growing up as a kid. The game, the sport, the, athlete, the athletes in, in the NFL, they improve so much every year. They're not the same athletes that they were 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And it's fun to watch the the athletes evolve and the game evolve along with it. And one of the fun things that I enjoy watching the product now, one of the reasons why I like watching the product now, is now you're starting to see, you know, bigger guys like Brian Cage who can – you know, in WCW, when we introduced, you know, the cruiserweights and all that, it was always the smaller guys that could do all the high flying, really cool aerial stuff in, in stuff that made people go, oh, my God, did you see that? I've never seen that before. And a lot of the bigger guys were like intimidated by that. Right. So like, well, you know, they wouldn't come out and say it, but when you know what they were thinking. It was like, how do I follow that? <laughs> and yeah. now you're seeing bigger guys able, you know, to perform some of the moves that, you know. 20 years ago, only 180 pound guys could do. Now you're seeing 220, 230, 240 pound guys doing some of the same stuff and making it look great. That's fun to watch. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. And uh, Brian Cage is uh, the epitome of that. Um, you know, people have compared him to Scott Steiner, which is uh, very flattering. Uh, Scott Steiner. In also- some ways, in some <laughs> ways it is. In some ways it's not. <laughs> sure, absolutely fair. Uh, but as, uh, certainly uh, we, under your leadership, Scott Steiner was a big wrestling star. And uh, that's, you know, uh, uh, something that we hope Brian Cage is, is a huge wrestling star here. And uh, so for this match, it's it's huge. And uh, with Taz, really, they, they, uh, they're a huge package. And uh, they are doing some of the 
best promos in wrestling. Brian can have some great matches. And so it's going to be a great match. And with Moxley, uh, you know, it's a huge main event for us to have uh, John defending the title in this match on Dynamite uh, and at Fight for the Fallen. Uh, you know, we're trying to put together like a pay-per-view level crowd and I'm uh, sorry, pay-per-view level card. And uh, that's where uh, having such a great main event like this made great sense. We thought it was originally going to be on last week's show and it just we didn't think it would be the right thing to do. Uh, John had tested negative repeatedly for COVID-19, but his wife had been exposed to COVID-19. His wife then tested positive for COVID-19. And in that turnaround time, even though he tested negative a couple of times, we just didn't think it was the right thing to do. Uh, John didn't think it was the right thing to do either. And so we all agreed, like, you know, we've got this other huge show. Uh, you know, it's the one-year anniversary. It's this great thing we've done, and we can put it there and uh, really fight for the fall. And this year is as important as it was last year. We raised, you know, over $100,000 to benefit the victims of violent crimes. I thought it was even greater this year because we have a chance to raise. We've already put a million in ourselves, and we have a chance to raise even more money now to benefit something that's so uh, affecting all of us, you know, violent crimes affect tons of people. And I think it's something we all have to worry about, but obviously COVID uh, coronavirus has impacted how we all live our lives. And like you said, Eric, it's impacted uh, the way shows are conducted. It's affected the wrestling business in a lot of ways. And um, we try to come back and do safe shows. And like you, like, you know, like you alluded to, um, for, it's been a challenge to kind of get people reacclimated. I don't know if you've seen the Double or Nothing uh, pay-per-view we did uh, this year. But yes, I did. I thank did. you. Great. I appreciate you watching it. Thank you. It, it did, it, you know, I think it had a great feeling, and it, it almost there were times where I think you wouldn't remember that we, it was a very small group of people there, but the, the energy of the, that we had really felt like there was a good crowd at times, I thought. Well, you know what? Here's the other thing I wanted to say, Tony. I don't want to go so far into the weeds, and I don't even know how much time we have here. Conrad I have as much time as you, you want. It's up to you. I mean, you're. Thank you for taking the time. Seriously, thanks for doing this. Well, Conrad will tell you that I can sometimes take one question, and 45 minutes later, I'll forget the question that I was originally trying to answer. But I do want to say this before I go so far into the weeds. One of the things that I think has distinguished your show from anybody else's. You know, um, even when I was in WWE last year, you know, when you guys debuted, I literally, literally, I sat and watched both shows side by side, you know, NXT and, and AEW. And clearly I was working in, in WWE at the time and I was actually watching it in a writer's conference room with a bunch of other writers. And one of the first things that I noticed was that you're handling your production so much better. Um, when I watch your show, even under COVID, you know, that was pre-COVID, obviously, but even under COVID, the way you're shooting your show, it's tighter. Your shots tend to be tighter. You're, you embraced your venue as opposed to trying to camouflage it quite as much. It feels, and I said this like the next day, somebody, somebody, if you can imagine, said, what did you think? I told them what I thought. Your show feels more like live TV to me. Because it, it has that hit. Don't take this the wrong way, please. I don't mean I mean this as a compliment, but your show feels gritty enough to convince me it's live, and it's not so that you don't strive to be so perfect that you lose that sense of live energy. It just feels gritty enough that I believe it. And and during COVID, I, I did notice that a lot of your shots 
your shot selection, your director, I'm assuming it's it's uh, Keith Mitchell. It's Keith but and Tim. Whoever, yeah. whoever it is, is doing a really, really good job because you get sucked into the drama in the story of the action without being constantly reminded that you're in a very unique environment. And I think, you know, hats off to you and your entire team you. because it makes all the difference in the world. As someone who's just a passive viewer, well, I'm not a passive viewer. I watch it like a producer, obviously. But that's one of the first things I notice is under these these conditions, you guys are doing a fantastic job shooting it. Thank you, man. Well, you, you like you said, Keith is great. Nobody has more experience working with Keith probably than than you. And and uh, you know you know firsthand, uh, Keith and his team do great work. And I think a lot of the people that work on our show used to work for you, uh, and uh, both in WCW and then probably even more of them in TNA. Uh, and, uh, they're, they're good people, really great people. Great people. And, and, uh, I love, I love working with them and then they've done a great job, uh, changing the look of the show. As far as the energy, uh, I've said it in a ton of interviews, but I, but like, I don't know if, if I ever, if you've heard it, but when we had to really, I had to think about how to change the feel of the show. And, uh, you know, when we came up with the feel you alluded to a moment ago, before I lose this thought. It really means a lot to hear that coming from you because that's what I love about your show. That's what I love about Nitro was uh, that feel. So to hear that coming from you means a lot because, like, well, I've taken a lot of influence from you. And uh, when I spent the summer, not just the summer, but I spent a lot of time, in, you know, through all of 2018 watching uh, wrestling shows. And uh, I had the conversation with the president of TNT for the first time. And I'll, I'll get back to the COVID era in a moment. but. I'd be remiss if I didn't say that uh, the first time I talked to Kevin Riley because we're friends and we talked socially a bunch of times and I'd be lying if I said, you know, WCW and TNT never crossed my mind. It's probably the first thing that crossed my mind. The first time I met him was Halloween uh, a few years earlier and I was dressed as Randy Savage in the, <laughs> in the Slim Jim outfit. And the second time I met him was Halloween the next year at the same party and again, I was dressed as Randy Savage in the Slim Jim outfit. I wore it two years in a row. And I didn't bring up, you know, he knew I like, I love wrestling, but we're, you know, he knew me as a football executive and I never talked about wrestling in a professional uh, business capacity with him before. And then we were at a party uh, and it was actually the weekend of WrestleMania uh, in 2018. I think WrestleMania was in New Orleans that year. And I was in Los Angeles and uh, I was at a party with friends and uh, Kevin was there. And I, had heard that he, they might be one of the people that was looking at bidding on WWE TV rights, which were going to be in the nine figures for the rights fee. And I said, well, you know, uh, Kev, are you aware that the company that you operate owned and operated the number one wrestling company in the world 20 years ago today, which was true. It was like, uh, cause I'm it's April of, uh, you know, 2018. So it's 20 years. It's certainly in uh, April of 1998. There's no question. WCW is still the number one wrestling company in the world. And uh, by every judgeable business metric, including ratings, we're still, that was really a, a, maybe a tipping point, but that was still true what I said, that number one wrestling company in the world 20 years ago today. And he took sat back and he had, Kevin's a uh, huge entertainment executive, but had not any experience in wrestling. But, you know, he's uh, worked at NBC and Fox and uh, has a great background in entertainment shows, but no wrestling background and didn't know about WCW. And because of you and everything you did and bringing live wrestling to TNT and creating that, that show, it made it possible for me to lead off. And that's 
not the, I mean, that led a process that, again, you would appreciate more than anybody else because I spent so much time in offices in L.A., New York, and Techwood. It probably resembled more like the corporation you saw at the end of your tenure with WCW as opposed to the beginning where it was a, a bigger feel now and it's even bigger with Warner Media. But the things I go through on a weekly basis uh, in terms of marketing and media, again, and the people I talk to, it may even be some of the same people, but I think it's mostly different. But you'd appreciate it more than anybody else in the process of getting the show together. And what I had to go through, it was probably different because you were established, you're a, part, you're a property of, of Turner Entertainment and, and sports and and uh, probably a different process. But the, the, the way they vetted me and went through it all, it was a hell of a deal all through 2018. And then at the end of 2018, going into 2019, I had no guarantees they were going to pick the show up still. They, were, they hadn't committed to anything. They were still very interested. But... Uh, it was a big commitment we made in January of 2019, guaranteeing literally over the course of, you know, several years, not all at once, but millions and millions of dollars. And really, I mean, ten, guaranteeing all at once, not paying it all at once, but tens of millions of dollars. And you know, what's, what, what's so interesting, Tony, now, I'm sorry to, to interrupt you. Please, please. No, not getting, getting a show sold in today's environment. I mean, it's even harder today. You know, I, I, I pretty much quit trying to sell television about four years ago or so, five years ago, because it just became so difficult. The process has become so difficult and the margins have gotten absolutely crushed for independent producers. Um, that I just said, you know what, there's got to be a better way to make money in entertainment than in the tele in unscripted television. Yeah. But, you know, people that have never been involved in selling a show and you're not just selling a show. You didn't just sell a show. You sold a business model that happened to include a television show. And it's really difficult. I mean, networks are so adverse to risk and everything has to go through so many channels of approval. And it's so easy to say no in, in such a conservative uh, uh, risk adverse economy, which television in general is because te television is changing so much so quickly. Um, they have to be risk adverse. So hats off to you for getting that done, brother. I don't, I can't imagine how you did it. I really, the first deal wasn't that good. The first deal wasn't as good. It was like the, it, compared to what I got, you know, on the renewal because uh, I, we had to prove it and they, there wasn't a huge guaranteed rights fee, but there was an opportunity on the ad matching and it made sense for both sides. And then when we had a, got off to a good start. I think they wanted us to do something long-term and they told me privately that we did. And it means a lot to hear that coming from you and your experience, both uh, in wrestling and in entertainment and selling TV shows. Cause it wasn't easy in the margins. The first year weren't going to be good. And then so quickly when uh, we had good results, they were interested. And then really at the start of the year, we had to double down and prove, Again, when we got challenged, you were there for a lot of this in, in WWE. When we got challenged uh, late in the year, uh, we rebounded and did really, really well and responded with great numbers. And then that was when they were convinced that we mounted really uh, that great rebound. We went off and had our best run of business after the renewal and uh, into Revolution and selling out live events through uh, into March and April. And I'm a lot like you in many ways, Eric, where I think I do the same thing and I can like be on a question and then go on a long tangent and get, get back to where we were. And I was so really uh, for, thanks to you and being able to say that that's how we got the show in the first place. Uh, you know, the, the great history of wrestling on TNT 
And the idea that, you know, it made more sense for us to start something new and build something for the ground up as opposed to Kevin spending hundreds of millions of dollars in TV rights rather to build a grassroots uh, movement. And that's what it is. It's a grassroots wrestling movement that we've, that we've got. And uh, it's a, it's a void that there's been in the wrestling business. We've all been missing uh, since WCW that the competition that, that you brought and created. Uh, and I think that uh, what's like really exciting is like in this era, it's hard to innovate. It's hard to do different things. I went back and actually, and you'd appreciate this again, is you've been a person who's worked with The Tonight Show and done stuff with in WCW with The Tonight Show. I, I have a friend who's a writer for The Tonight Show, and it was actually their first set of shows after coronavirus where I got the idea for the writers and staff that they put in the crowd as their audience. I, that was like, okay, that's the idea for our audience and our idea that we can't have just dead air. And I, I, you know, saw other wrestling in front of an empty crowd and it wasn't what I wanted us, our show to be. And I, the energy just wasn't there. And it also was really hard for the wrestlers, uh, wrestling in front of just cameras, I think. And that's where that idea came in when I saw Jimmy Fallon. The next day I realized we could split it into baby face and heel and we might really have something with these two sections. We've ended up doing stories out of it. It doesn't replace the energy of a wrestling crowd and there's nothing like, uh, the crowds we had, I mean, uh, but, um, you know, I, I appreciate you saying that. And, and when you talk about the feel of our show, it means that so much coming from, from you, because like I was alluding to before, when I was watching shows, trying to get a feel for what I wanted to do, it was like the 95, 95 to 98 nitros are so influential. And I, and you, I'm sure you've noticed, like we try to keep the show in the arena and, you know, do the interviews either in the ring as much as possible or on the ramp like you used to do with Gene. Uh, in fact, you used Tony for that when Gene wasn't available, I think. And that's where I got the idea to use Tony for that, uh, to have Tony be so flexible where he could do commentary, but also uh, kind of rove and uh, do the interviews in the ring or on the ramp. And uh, so, no, I thanks for saying that, because the idea of a, the gritty live feel of the show certainly is uh, what we, you know, I will learn from your show. And how cool is it that Tony, obviously I'm friends with Tony, so people can take this however they want to take it. But I think Tony is actually better today as an announcer, as a personality than he's ever been. I agree. He is so good right now. And the con, you know, hearing him, and again, it's just because of, you know, my history and association with WCW, obviously, but hearing him and Jim Ross together is kind of like my favorite thing in wrestling, not to take anything away from the action in the ring, yeah. but there's a little bit, there's something, it's a little bit like meatloaf and macaroni and cheese for my head. You know, when I hear Tony and JR together, it's comfort food for my brain. You know, I, I love hearing it. It's awesome. And I'm so happy to see Tony and JR, but Tony especially, because JR's, you know, JR had success after WCW and, you know, JR's, JR's been JR for a long time. But Tony, he was gone, man. He was like never going to go back to wrestling. It was in his rearview mirror, never wanted to think about it, never wanted to talk about it. And now here he is. And I can tell, you know, 10 seconds in of turning on the, sh the, the show, I can tell he's having a time of his life. I really, I, I have a, I get a kick out of watching that. I had the best time with Tony. Tony's been so uh, huge for us. Thanks for bringing that up because uh, uh, I'm glad to talk about it. And that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about because Tony's got to be one of the only people who I, I, 
Did see Jr. I don't know. If, did you produce Jim Ross ever? As when you were like on comedy, you never would have produced no. Jim Ross on comedy. I didn't think so. No, he Tony, was he was my boss. <laughs> that's what I thought. So uh, Jim. Uh, so that's that's interesting. So with Tony, I think Tony's got to be the only person who's ever been produced on commentary by Vince McMahon, you and me. Uh, and it's funny because like he's you tell me because I've never been able to talk because I've never talked to Vince McMahon before. So you tell me. I find him to be the best when you've got a point you want to get across and you're in a pinch and it's live television, you know, especially when there are crowds and screaming people. If you have something in a pinch, you need to get across on the fly. He's so good at it. He's he can improv, you know, and as an announcer, he's great at improv. Tony's very quick. He's a very smart guy, period. But he's very, very fast on his feet. But he's also I didn't know this before. He's funny. I never thought he was funny. He was always very dry and just did the work and, you know, had his head down and, you know, worked as much as three people, you know, and it just always delivered. He was, it was like this, he was the architect, the foreman and the laborer on the construction site. He did everything. Um, and I never realized how funny he was until the last couple of years. And I could get Dan, when did you get hilarious? Where did that come from? He's really fun. Well, he had a he had a great uh, reply to Jr. that was uh, that was off the cuff when uh, you know Brick got hit in the nose and uh, Jim said somebody get a doctor out here and oh, I guess she is a doctor and Tony's like well she's a dentist. <laughs> he has a lot of great lines. Tony is really a funny guy and uh, no I'm glad uh, I'm glad to hear you say that and I think he is having fun you know and uh, I can I can and will gush about how great. WCW was, and I don't know if anybody can do anything as good as what you guys were doing uh, for the first three, four years of Nitro, especially, but through the Nitro run, it's the best stuff. And um, what I've said to Tony a lot, and again, we've said this a lot to each other, so I'll just say it, and please don't take this the wrong way. With Tony, you were the one dealing with it, so I think you'll understand very much what I'm talking about. It, he's really such a, in, in the right environment, I just think, like you said, maybe, I, I don't know what it was like back then, but like with Tony and Chris Jericho, the commentary they've done together has been so great. They make such a great pair. People have compared them to Tony and Bobby Heenan. To me, the difference is Chris and Tony seem like that really like being together. And sometimes with Bobby Heenan and Tony, you could just feel as I was like a little kid and I could feel uh, as a, you know, I was a smart, I was reading the observer. I was 13 years old, but still I could feel like Tony and, and Bobby didn't like each other. And, uh, and it, didn't, or as Chris and Tony, it's just like, I don't know. There's something, and, and same with Jim and Excalibur, everybody Tony announces with. Uh, how can you not like Tony Schiavone? And I, I don't know uh, if, like you said, maybe uh, he's just lighter and funnier than he's ever been. But him and Chris, they, to say something, they Tony and Bobby Heenan were an amazing, amazing team. But I feel like Tony and Chris actually, nobody's got the wit of Bobby Heenan or anything, but Tony and Chris have something. Uh, a chemistry, maybe of a friendship that is different than Tony Buck. Yeah, it's just chemistry. And I think that makes, I mean, whether it's a, a wrestling match in the ring or an announced team or musicians on a stage, you know, it's all about the chemistry. You can have two of the greatest talents in the world at whatever they do. And if the chemistry isn't right, it just doesn't come off quite the same way. You know, and Tony, you know, Tony was put in uh, some pretty tough spots, you know, first with Jesse, the body Ventura, Jesse wasn't the easiest guy, you know, to, to work with in terms of prepping and, you know, 
having his head on straight and ready for the show um, and not being distracted with other things. Um, and, you know, it was challenging for Tony. And sometimes it came off really, really well. And other times, eh, not so much. I like Tony and Jesse a lot. I really no, like Tony were good. And Jesse. When they, they were, were good, great. they were good. But there yeah. were times when they weren't. And, and that was because of Jesse mostly and just not being prepared and not really be on his game and not really being sure of what he was covering and what the storylines were and things like that it wasn't Tony's fault, but you know, and the same was true with Bobby. Bobby was fantastic. Somebody sent me a social media thing today of Bobby Heenan and Nick Bockwinkle from the AWA. Nick Bockwinkle is one of my favorite heels of all time. And I looked at that and it's like from 1986 or 85. It was a long time ago, but Bobby was fantastic. But if he was in the wrong mood and the chemistry wasn't right, yeah, it was tough to listen to sometimes. Yeah. It was like Bobby and Gorilla Monsoon to me uh, is some of the best commentary I ever heard. Bobby and Gorilla Monsoon, because you could tell they would, they would spend all day together and all night. They would love doing it. And even though they played the characters of guys who hated each other and they would fight, they had like a thing like Statler and Waldorf from the Muppets. I don't know what it is, but there was something about Gorilla and Bobby. And there's something about uh, Tony and Chris the same way when they get together. So I really like uh, their chemistry. And then we found that uh, in a tough spot when Chris came in uh, through Corona and helped us by doing commentary on the shows. And, uh, you know, that's uh, something else we have in common is working with Chris. Uh, that You uh, discovered Chris, I think, from the same match. When I was like 12 years old, I think I found Chris the same match you did at that Ultimo Dragon match in Japan. Uh, was that the first? I don't know if that was the first tape you saw Chris on or not. I've heard. No, was I, it, it wasn't. I first saw Chris at an event in Los Angeles. Um, was was the first time that I the saw Peace Chris. Festival, the Wrestling Peace yeah. Festival. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I have and the shirt. I have the shirt of the uh, the Peace Festival still. Uh, I never. I wasn't there, but my friend sent me the uh, the shirt. It was a very cool shirt to wear. Uh, and uh, I, I so I think that was the tape that got Chris into ECW then, which uh, helped him get a lot of opportunities in America. But he first worked with Ultimo Dragon. But I've heard the story of the Peace Festival. I, I conflated the two things. I think. Yeah, no, it's easy to do. It's twenty some odd years ago, brother. I conflate yesterday with today, so I get it. <laughs> well, Chris had said that opened up a lot of doors for him. Sure did. If you're enjoying this candid conversation with Eric Bischoff right now. You're going to love when Eric gets a case of the red ass over at adfreeshows.com. We've got two editions now of Eric fires back where we play clips from famous shoot interviews where people absolutely bury Eric Bischoff. And then Eric gets to respond. You'll hear him respond to Bret Hart, Jim Cornette, Mike Graham, Greg Gagne. It's an unbelievably fun. Listen at adfreeshows.com. Here's a clip. Does that make sense to anybody other than Greg and obviously Jim Cornette? They're one and the same. Does, does it make kind of, does it make sense to you? Did you see the, the absurdity that I'm hearing? No, the idea that Bill Watts gets fired and still shows up to work passing out contracts. No, didn't happen on it on its face. So stupid. Greg Ganya, didn't you learn a thing? It's just so stupid. If you're going to work, work smart. Don't work stupid. This was such a stupid thing for him to say because, again, it's so provably false. And it's not possible in the mind of anybody but a delusional fuck like Greg Gagne. 
Man, if that doesn't get you going, I don't know what will. Be sure to check out Eric Fires Back Volume 1 and 2, available now at adfreeshows.com, where, by the way, you would have gotten this show early in ad free. Catch all the fun, including Zoom calls with Eric himself. That's right. You too can have a personal interaction with Eric Bischoff. It all starts at just $9 a month. Check out everything available right now at adfreeshows.com. You'll be glad you did. And now, here's more 83 Weeks. And of course, Chris Jericho is going to have something to say this Wednesday at Fight for the Fall, and you don't want to miss it. It's happening on Dynamite Live on TNT. And the more things change, the more they stay the same. Eric, you hired Jericho back in 96. He became a star on Nitro on TNT, and he wound up leaving in 99 for the WWE. And he comes back 20 years later, Tony, and he's going to be the top guy in the promotion, La Champion. Why was he the right guy to carry the AEW banner to get you started, Tony? Chris uh, is a perfect person to be the face of our company. Uh, he's one of the biggest wrestling stars of my lifetime. He has wrestled in every major promotion in America, virtually to, to me. Uh, you know, I was actually at Chris's last two matches in ECW as a fan uh, before he went to work for Eric. And then through WCW, he's one of my favorite uh, people to follow. I thought as, as he turned heel, I thought he was my favorite part of the shows very often. And I thought for a lot of the, the smart fans and for me as a young smart fan, I really love Chris. And, uh, and then the way, you know, I think everybody talks about Chris has reinvented himself, but it's very, very true. There's a reason people talk about it because Chris, we've seen so many different iterations of Chris that have been successful. And uh, Chris also a really unselfish and giving person. And when people criticize Eric, and if you hear people talk about things with WCW, I, I don't think they realize, first of all, there's nobody in AEW that has creative control in their contract, which is not a luxury you had because you had, when you have somebody with creative control, you have to, you can't, you can't just do whatever you want to do. And, uh, so you had to deal with that, which is something I didn't have to deal with. And, and I have to deal with Chris on top, who's very agreeable and, uh, you, you had a lot of guys who have a lot of ideas. We have a lot of people with ideas, but I think, uh, Chris is always trying to help people and he's never been one who wouldn't put people over if it made sense. And, uh, so I thought for him to come in and be like, uh, the, our biggest name and he came in, was our first champion and it helped us with so much mainstream visibility. When people ask, what is AEW? Why should I watch AEW? Uh, it's a pretty good answer for most wrestling fans is Chris Jericho being involved. And again, you know, Eric, uh, I give so much credit to you because I was one of the biggest fans of Chris when you first brought him in because I was a fan of Japanese wrestling and ECW because I was a hardcore. But it was you guys that showed me a whole other side of Chris that I didn't know existed. You see it a personality, but when you turned and heel uh, and the stuff he did was, I thought, some of the most innovative stuff people were anybody was doing at that time. My favorite Chris Jericho iteration of Chris Jericho is Chris and Ralphus. I don't know why. It's just so goofy that I still find it. When, whenever I see a clip of that today, I, I just always chuckle. That was Chris's idea, by the way. It had nothing to do with me. That was just Chris trying to find a way to <clears throat> get himself over as, as he should have. And he did. And it's just uh, it's funny. There's so many great iterations of, of Chris's characters over the years. And it amazes me still that he's continuing to reinvent his character, which I think is a mark of a real artist. You know, it's one thing to hit it big and, and make it to the top in, in any form of entertainment uh, and stay there and not challenge yourself and not 
realize that no matter how successful you are in any given moment, if you don't reinvent yourself, if you're not looking into the future, you'll be looking in the rearview mirror before you know it. And Chris, I don't think he has a rearview mirror. He only looks forward and he's constantly finding ways to not have to look in the rearview mirror. And it's just fun to watch, but I think it's a hats off to Chris. I mean, that's, you know, I think the mark of a, of a true artist is to always be looking for new ways to evolve. And he certainly has done that. And we were talking about Chris doing commentary. I can see Chris now at about 75, 78 years old doing color commentary and being really great at it. <laughs> Me too. I can too. And, uh, I think, you know, it's funny we talked about Jesse because Jesse's a big inspiration to Chris and Chris wanted the commentary. He wanted that feel of like Vince and Jesse. Uh, and I think they had that, but I felt like they, they had a Vince and Jesse feel, but they also had some gorilla and Jesse gorilla and Bobby, where it felt like a very comfortable pairing with them. Uh, but no, I, I really do uh, appreciate what you're saying there. And uh, it's funny because I think a similarity between WCW under your leadership uh, and and I think this changed more after your leadership when they got like tried to be more structured and stringent about uh, how scripted their shows were. Uh, but I thought, like you said, that gritty edge was such a great thing about your show. And I, I, it meant a lot to me that you appreciated our show. But similar to what you're saying about how Chris came up with Ralphus and he has great ideas like that. Again, nobody can relate uh, to you more than me and, and probably vice versa, me to you, uh, that I, I've been in that same situation. Chris has these great ideas all the time. And usually it's like, yeah, man, we're going to let's do it. And uh, I think it's like that with a lot of the people I work with and probably was like that for you, too. And I imagine I know you had you. I think officially you had. Kevin Sullivan in the position of the booker at, when you did Nitro? Yeah, Kevin yeah, Kevin Sullivan, Ric Flair. There was a point there where there was a transition. I'm pretty sure it was Kevin Sullivan. Okay. I just didn't – I like the idea of a booker, like, and I've, I, I'm like trying to be organized, and I'm like you where I, I get off on a tangent and I lose my focus, which is why I'm putting everything down in a notebook or like a matrix and a graph and grid form makes sense to me but like i there's just so many things flying around and maybe this is just from having seen all the problems that you had when you were doing the job which is to me i'm doing a job probably closer to you had probably the closest job to me of anybody i know so like uh you know it's like there's so many ideas floating around i just uh it's a lot easier for me to talk to everybody myself and get and then put it down because like there's 75 people like with like you know 500 ideas and for each person there's probably three four ideas floating around in a week and maybe sometimes you can do more than one of them and there's a way to combine two ideas or, or you know uh make it all work but a lot of times you can't like you know and you have to pick stuff and uh and all, you try to pick the best stuff and then you have your own ideas and i think some of the biggest stuff you ever did were your own ideas and uh and then you know you talk to everybody and sometimes my idea if i have a bad idea hopefully people are going to tell me i don't know if we should do that tone and like i'd rather hear it before we do it uh then we do it that's why i like talking to people but i try to keep everything on paper organize myself rather than put somebody in because that way i don't same honestly i do the same thing at fulham too i i, I have a football club uh at, at, you know here in america we call it a soccer club and uh i'm the general manager there for a lot of the same reasons it's just uh I think it's easier for me to talk to the players and the coaches and get everybody's contracts and the plans for the season organized myself. It's just a big job. And 
rather than put it on a lot of people. And you, I imagine you had probably a lot of moments where you, I heard you were very involved in the stories and stuff. So you probably were ripping stuff apart all the time. Yeah, it was a challenge. You know, when it was just Nitro, it was fun. When it became Nitro and Thunder, it quit being as much fun because it was just overwhelming. And like you said, you've got, you know, 10, 12, 15, 20 different people that you have respect for. And you know they're smart people and they're creative people and they're experienced. But they don't all know the situation. You know, they don't all know the business. They don't – the business – situation that you may be in at the or what everybody else is doing moment. right because like everybody's got their own stuff so it's like oh right. i think i should be doing this but it's like well somebody's already doing something very similar to that or next exactly. week somebody and yeah so it's, know, it's it's like juggling hand grenades but it's it it's fun it's fun i miss it <laughs> eric you brought up a great thing there talking about the second show because there's been rumor and innuendo out there tony that maybe aew is going to get a second show eric if well we have a second show we have dark Right, correct. It's like a television show. It's like a yeah. television show, yes, sir. Well, who could forget Dark? It's on YouTube, right here on the channel where you're watching this. You don't want to miss that. But a second television show, Eric, if you could go back in time and give yourself some advice to maybe do something different with that second show, because you've admitted that Thunder was a, a thorn in your side, what would your advice be? I don't want to give anybody any advice at this stage of my life. <clears throat> Um, but if it was, if I had to do things over again, you know, Conrad on the, on the podcast, we get this question too often, you know, if you could go back and change one thing, what would it be? Well, I don't live in that world. Right. You know, I can't change the past. So I don't live in the past. I don't even think about it unless somebody asked me a question. However, since you asked the question, you know, Tony and I, I, you know, the history of WCW when all the things that went on have been it's, it's, it's evolved over the decades. Right. And there's a lot of narrative out there that some of it's true. Some of it's not, whatever. It doesn't matter that much, but there was a point in time when, and I remember it specifically because it was in the summer. I was actually driving out here to Wyoming with my wife and my kids. I, I had my own plane for a while and I had some uh, issues with the plane and I had to, um, had an emergency landing and then rented a van and drove the rest of the way here while the plane was getting fixed. And on the way for, on the way here, I got a call from Harvey Schiller, who was my boss at the time. He was the president of Turner Sports. And he said, oh, Eric, you know, Ted decided he wants to do a, a show on Thursday nights. And I thought Harvey was kidding because Harvey had a very dry sense of humor. Um, and he rarely ever called me unless it was to just joke around or, you know, we didn't really have a lot of communication. But he called me knowing I was on vacation, which I hadn't taken a vacation in probably two years at that point. And I said, Harvey, it's not funny. I'm on vacation. Leave me alone. And he, he said, no, Eric, I'm serious. I said, Harvey, you know, F off. You know, I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to bite. He goes, no, Eric, I'm telling you, Ted wants to do this. And my heart stopped for a minute. And I pulled over so I didn't lose my cell signal. And he convinced me that he was he was legit. And every or that, that, that the Ted request was legit. And everybody within Turner tried to talk Ted out of it. And he wouldn't have it. Brad Siegel came to me and said, look, if anybody can legitimately, incredibly argue why we shouldn't do this, it's you. Because you have to do it. You're the one that actually has to do the work. And like, you know, one of my fatal flaws is I'm pretty loyal, uh, almost to a fault, not almost to a fault. I'm, I'm a very loyal person. And, you know, when Ted Turner says, this is what I want to do, then my job isn't to try to talk him out of it. My job is to figure out how to do it. Yeah. Had I 
known then what I know now, I would have taken Brad's advice and probably grabbed my balls and worked a little harder to convince Ted not to do it because we just didn't have, and it doesn't mean that, you know, you shouldn't do it or somebody else shouldn't do it. It's just doing it prematurely, you know, adding that extra level of effort on top of what you're already doing, which is pretty monstrous as it is, unless you've got an infrastructure that you're a hundred percent confident in, uh, because it's not just double the work, it's two and a half times the work. It's almost three times the work because of the additional stress that it puts on people creatively. You were taping on a separate day, right? You yeah. Were ta- was it, like, yeah. Do you think Sunday Night Heat was more manageable when they first started doing Sunday Night Heat because it was like taped on the same day and then they would loop it in six days later? Maybe? No doubt. No doubt. We were doing five hours of primetime live TV a week. It was just wasn't manageable with the infrastructure that we had. Now, if, if we would have been able to grow into that opportunity, as opposed to having it thrusted upon us and then having to turn around and do it 30 days later or 60 days later, without the budget, without the infrastructure, without the staff, it would have been probably better. But, you know, it is, it was what it was, brother. It was what it was. But yeah. I, 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 I would prefer to grow into that second show opportunity very slowly, but that's just me. It's good advice, and it's good to know. Uh, I mean, I think there's a lot. I mean, we've learned a lot from it, but uh, the th- that's really good to know. And I think uh, when I've studied it, that was what I tried to kind of study was why Sunday Night Heat and then SmackDown were maybe more sustainable. And SmackDown, obviously, was the challenges of similar to what you faced uh, of taping two days. And that's, again, where they have uh, that huge machine infrastructure uh, that I'm sure makes that a lot more manageable. Um, and you know, in doing so, I think if we, uh, do launch another, uh, show, it's a good chance, uh, you know, that here on the YouTube channel, uh, we peel back the curtain and talk pretty inside baseball. And, uh, I think there's a good chance that it would make sense to tape all at once for the, for especially now what we know in this era about travel and, uh, you know, in, in the pandemic until, uh, there's a cure vaccine or, uh, we've eradicated this thing through so proper social distancing as they've done in other places, uh, then I think uh, it probably doesn't make sense to tape multiple times in a week. So we'd have to really look at it uh, before we launch. But, you know, there's definite uh, more than an interest in it. You know, we've, we've, got, we've signed that we're, we're committed to do it. Uh, we just have to find a right time with TNT where it's right for everybody uh, to launch. And I think right now, to your point, uh, we've all agreed to be a challenging time to launch uh, another show right now, but you know, we were really cooking uh, right before the pandemic and it was perfect timing. It felt like, but obviously it would have been a major challenge if we had jumped right into it. And I think we'll, we'll get to it here when the time is right. You know, we've got a four year contract still here. So I think three and a half years left on it to get to it. So, well, and, and I think one of the things you're probably fine just because of, the fact that you're surrounded with a lot of creative people and a lot of experienced people um, is that you may, if you get, if you, if you're not under pressure to do it, if you don't have a gun to your head to have to produce that second show, you're likely to find given the nature of what you do with the people that you work with, that you may find a format that feels so unique from what you're currently doing that it takes some of the pressure off. You don't feel like you're watching you know, the second edition of the same yeah. show, you feel like you're watching an almost a different show in the same genre with some of the same talent, but format is everything. And my guess is again, with some of the people that I know you're surrounded by, 
you may just stumble into a really cool format that'll surprise everybody and make it a lot easier on you than producing another wrestling show. It's a problem with SmackDown and Raw, and I've said this forever. I said it while I was there. I said it before I got there. I'll say it till you know people quit talking to me about it. But the biggest issue that I have with those two shows, as I had with Thunder and Nitro, same problem. They don't, they don't feel different enough. You know, in the case of, of Raw SmackDown, one's red, one's blue. <laughs> I'm sorry. Everything else is pretty much the same because it's produced by the same people. The philosophy, the creative approach, the filter, yep. if you will, that everything has to go through is exactly the same for both shows. And yet people are somewhat surprised why those shows feel so similar and why they're not that interesting and why the brand split doesn't really work for WWE. It didn't work for WCW either for the much the same reason. But if you can find that format that just feels unique enough that's the magic format is king man conrad hears me say that all the time format is king it's true well it's context true. True. context too but format <laughs> context is king and format is now i agree on both uh, both points and uh, no you're absolutely right eric and uh i think to your point and it's exciting to hear you say that the gears have been turning and uh through covid i've had a lot of time to think about different formats and things and when the time is right and we do launch uh, what will probably be a one-hour show, a third hour. Uh, I think we do have a different idea for a format that still involves wrestling, which is the most important thing to me is that there's going to be wrestling matches, but in a different format kind of than exactly what we've seen. Uh, but I, to your point, I'm not sure I've got an idea that exactly reinvents the wheel either. Uh, but I think we can do some fun stuff. You know, to your point, we're surrounded by a lot of creative people. And we talked about Chris with, you know, Cody, the Young Bucks, uh, Kenny Omega, uh, and, uh, you know, John Moxley has a lot of great ideas himself. Uh, so many people with great experience. And then Keith Mitchell and the guys you've talked to on the production side, there's just a wealth of experience and great ideas. And same, same as you talked about, you know, you just have to be in the position of like the conductor of the orchestra and there's a lot of stuff moving around. And, uh, in, uh, the case of doing the shows, that's why I was uh, interested to talk to you. And, you know, like you said, with Ralphus being Chris's idea, uh, there's got to be so many things like that where guys came up with ideas that in WCW or in AEW, you know, guys get that stuff done. And I'm not sure it's like that in WWE. And there are probably thousands and thousands of ideas over the last two decades that wrestlers had for themselves or for other people that were like these great ideas that nobody really ever even considered. Here, I would like to think that they not necessarily do it, but I at least would have heard it and thought about it. And there's a lot, you know, the majority of stuff we hear, we don't do. But like, because there's so many ideas, but like by the time you get everybody's ideas in, a lot of the ideas on the show come from the wrestlers because they have so many good ideas. So, And that's what, that's what makes wrestling so fun, too, is you have that ability as a producer to walk into a show saying, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to do that with X and Y. This is what we're going to do. You know, somebody comes to you and says, yeah, but what if we, what my two favorite words are, what if, what if we do this instead? And when you, you know it, when you hear it, it's like, it's like a good song. You just know it when you hear it. That's it. And, and you, oh man, that's awesome. And whether you have the ability to try it, you know, that night or you wait till next week, but that's what makes, I think, wrestling so much more fun to produce than almost anything else is that you have that ability. It's almost like it's a producer's version of improv. 
You know, if you walk, watch two really good comedians improv or two good actors improv, you know, that's, that's fun. I love watching that. But as a producer, you know, your job is to be as buttoned up as possible and, and to have everything, you know, timed out to the last second and make sure you hit your brakes. And, you know, it's, there's a lot of uh, logistics and, and structure involved in producing. But every once in a while, you have that opportunity to hear an idea and go, you know what, we're going to throw this out the window and try that because that sounds fun. And it doesn't always work. But when it does, it's it's you know, I've never golfed, but I can imagine what it's like to hit a golf ball and know that you just hit it perfectly. You could probably feel it in your bones when it happens. And it's the same way when somebody comes to you with an idea and you just, oh man, that's sweet. You got to do that. That's a fun part of it. That's it. You're right. That's the best. It is the best. And, uh, I, from experience, I know that feeling both, uh, I've, you know, I'm not a great golfer, but I've had enough good shots and know the, the great feeling. And, uh, uh, that feeling, it is that same, oh, that's a good idea. And uh, when you get a really good one, that's what's great. And being around a lot of creative people, you get a lot of good ideas. And then you just have to organize them because sometimes there's so many good ones, you can't do them all at once. Uh, and uh, that's one of the places we've been really fortunate. And like I said, that's where having kind of a looser structure that allows you to have, like you said, that grittier feel because you can, uh, you know, don't have to over sanitize everything or, or fit everything necessarily. You know, you, you do have to fit everything in one person's vision to the extent of like, if it doesn't make sense to me, then I probably wouldn't want you to do it. But I've got a lot. There's, I love every kind of wrestling. And uh, unless it's something I think is going to be detrimental to the show, then I'm probably going to like it. Uh, but again, we may not be able to do it. There's so many things you like that you just can't do because you only have in our case that, two hours of television plus, you know, dark has become a great place for us to put stuff. Um, yeah. And it's a great place to try some ideas too, without the, the pressure of live television. That's it. That's it. And you know, the pressure of live television is so great. You know, for me, it's so different working on dark versus the shows you get time and I can talk to people and we can talk about what people are doing in their matches and give immediate feedback. Whereas on Dynamite, if somebody's looking for immediate feedback, it's hard because, we're, as you know, you're jumping into the next segment. Who uh, kept time for you? Who was who your timing person? Oh, God, who did that? Not even sure who was doing that, to be honest with you. Was that Jody Hamilton, maybe? I think it was Jody. David Crockett, they reported up to David Crockett, not up to me, so that's why I'm not really familiar. But I think it could have been Jody Hamilton. Um, obviously, Craig Leathers, the director, probably oversaw it and made sure that it was ready to go before. So I'm doing it. I keep the time myself. I don't, I, that, wow. I, that I, I'm timing. So if people like we did double or nothing and I timed double or nothing and Cody went into the scrum and just told people right out, like Tony timed the show. He'd never timed the show before, but we, everything was perfect time. And <laughs> that's uh, impressive, Tony. That is impressive. <laughs> thank you. But I don't, I'm like, or I don't want to leave it to anybody else where like they know that like, uh, if anybody's out there early in the show, you have to, you know, you can't go long on interview. You can't go long in your segments where you're not leaving time for the people at the end, because that's, you know, the main events need to get their time. And the worst thing I've seen on shows, which was happening a lot on shows before AEW, where I would watch, you know, not WWE, but you'd watch other wrestling shows and you'd see the main events would only have like 10 minutes at the end because people guys, some guy blathered on at the beginning of the show and you got to keep people on time. So I keep my own time. So, you know, everyone knows they're accountable to me. So they walk through, it's like, you know, it's not like one of the coaches who you can, they're going to try and BS. Like nobody can BS me on time. 
So uh, that's, you know, I've told Conrad that too from the beginning. I was like, nobody's going to run law on this show. And so it's just, you know, it's hard. It's your jungle. Like you said, it's juggling grenades, man. I've never heard a better expression for the job than that, but that's what it is. It's interesting to me that both of you guys decided to go live. You know, Eric has a famous story about meeting with Ted and saying, I wanted to be live on TNT on Monday nights. Why did you want to do dynamite live when it seems like so many other organizations are opting to cut costs and tape shows, and especially when you admit there's all this added pressure, why was going live so important to you? It's usually important. And it's because I, I, again, because of nitro, I saw the power of being live on TNT and being able to do a show that felt live and felt more exciting than any other wrestling show. And when I wanted to get that feel to try and break myself of the wrestling I'd been watching. I just watched nitros after nitros, but especially like 97 and 90, 97, 98, uh, 96, 97, 98. Watch so much. Please stay shows. away from 1999, Tony. Don't go near 1999. I watched a lot of 1999. <laughs> I watched a lot of 1999. It never happened. It just never happened. It just, it gets harder every time. It's so, it's surreal to talk to you about it, but I've been through it so many times and for me, that's, it's a tale, you, you know, I, you beat the expression cautionary tale to death, but honestly, like you guys were, uh, the greatest example anybody could ever set. We wouldn't be here without you. And now I trying to learn from the things that got you there and try and do everything we can to stay doing this as long as possible. And it's like you said, it's just 99. I, I, it's like you watch it and I'm sure you feel the same way. You wish you did different things, but I'm sure you had, I've been there. And you had people telling you these are the things you wanted to do and and then the, the people pushing ideas on you. And I've been there where you have 50 people pushing 55 different ideas on you. And it's overwhelming. And I can only imagine for you with all the huge stars you were dealing with, how, how hard it must have been. To that do. was the smallest part of it, honestly, Tony. And again, that's, the, you know, that narrative about WCW and what went wrong and how it went wrong is evolved over the years. But the the talent side of it, that was a challenge. It's always a challenge, especially when you have a pretty stacked roster the way that we did with some pretty powerful personalities. Um, but the, the real challenge was not the talent. Um, the real challenge was internal and corporate. That's, that's where the wheels fell off, to be honest. You know, if you can imagine, you know, in 1997, I had a budget approved for 1998, about the middle of 1998, halfway through the year have somebody call you and say, yeah, I know we approved that budget. I know you made a bunch of commitments based on that budget, but you don't have that budget anymore. And Oh, by the way, you're going to start a whole new show, you know, and by the way, you're going to pay for that show. It, it, it was really more the internal corporate cluster that, that went down more than the talent. It really was. That makes sense. I mean, for me, the, the stability uh, of what I have now, which is being able to, you know, run our own ship here and, and, you know, independently produce, like you talked about, it's a very, very difficult thing to do. And like you said, margins are super tight. Uh, but we were able to secure the extension, which made it profitable for us to do shows, even, uh, when we were uh, running with no crowds, which was pretty cool because we were, uh, uh, just set up and I've always wanted to do uh, live wrestling after I watched Nitro and uh, Dynamite's a show I've been writing uh, for fun for 25 years and uh, for uh, it's like uh, I just you know as a kid I wrote Dynamite's and there's been all kinds of different companies and there was uh, 
uh, an NCW and there was an ACW, but there was never an AEW. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I love wrestling and I, and, uh, for me, like I split when I was trying to get a feel for what I wanted to do with interviews and what was missing in wrestling, I would go back and watch WCW because I hadn't heard wrestlers talk like real people, like wrestlers talking like themselves in a long time. That's another thing, Tony, that you know, I want this to be a mutual admiration society here, but you know, honestly, and Conrad has heard me say this before. I, I think I've mentioned on the podcast, one of the thing, one of, you know, several things, but the thing that I think distinguishes your show, not quite as much as the fact that it's got the right kind of live feel to it and the right energy to it, but your interviews are so much better. They're so much better. And I, I guess because of the way I grew up in wrestling, you know, I, I grew up watching wrestling in the sixties as a kid in Detroit and moved to Pittsburgh and I watched it in Minneapolis. It was a big influence on me because I was in my teens, you know, early teens and until my late twenties. And those interviews that I used to listen to in the AWA, that's what turned me into a really hardcore wrestling fan. It wasn't the matches. I've always enjoyed the matches as a fan before I got into the business, but it was the interviews that made me want to watch the matches, not vice versa. And, you know, you going back and your team and your talent going back to a, a more natural way of delivering interviews makes it so much more believable to me. It gives me permission to get sucked into the story as opposed to it being so staged and unnatural that you, you, I sometimes feel like, well, well, they don't really want to be there saying what they're saying, so I don't really want to watch it either. Yeah. Whereas the stuff that you're doing feels so natural and credible and organic to the character that it allows me to believe and buy into the story. And that's a big difference. Thank you, man. I really appreciate that. Again, it means a lot coming from you of all people because uh, that's what you know you really brought to television. And it's like uh, an enduring contribution of WCW. There are so many enduring contributions of WCW. Uh, it's amazing to me uh, how much, uh, how the legacy continues to live on, how influential WCW continues to be. Uh, we certainly wouldn't be here without it. You guys uh, have built a really successful podcast with 83 Weeks uh, off of uh, people still to this day want to talk about WCW. Tony, with What Happened When, uh, it is mostly going to be talking about WCW, the books that have been written, Eric, your books. I've read, you know, I read a controversy creates cast. It's a great book. Uh, and, uh, learned a lot from that. And I, uh, for me, uh, don't think that there's ever been a company whose legacy, uh, will be as lasting or impactful because, uh, I don't care when, I mean, hopefully there's still live events with crowds, but when people go back and look at how rabid your crowds were and how big your events were and that in the summer of 98, you were putting big crowds in domes every week. Like I've never seen anything like it. Uh, it was fun. It was fun. So who else are we looking forward to this Wednesday night? I'm glad you asked because one of the folks that you surrounded yourself successfully with in WCW was the Rhodes family and they're back, uh, here on TNT. Cody is going to be defending his TNT championship with Arn Anderson in his corner against Sonny kiss. Who you got here, man? Uh, Cody Rhodes, the son of a son of a plumber or uh, Sonny kiss. What do you think, Eric? Now I'm going to go back. And, and, and talk about stuff that may, m makes it feel real and believable to me. But a couple of weeks ago, I think you had a scene with Sonny Kiss at a gas station 
and Joey Janela, brother, that was done so well. And again, it's it was done. Here's the part that I dig about it the most is it was so well produced, but it didn't feel like it was produced. Sometimes people get so caught up in overproducing things that by the time you're done, it looks like a like a scene from a bad B movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and this was done with just enough production to make it dramatic, the music, you know, and 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 the cutaways, because it was half comedy and half serious. So it's like, whoa, what am I watching here? Yeah. And it it just it was so really well done that I'm sorry, Cody, but I'm going with Sunny Kiss. That's awesome. Wow. Well, that's great. That's a big, that is a big, bold prediction. Uh, and it's going to be a great match. Sonny's come so far in a year from Conrad. You remember at Fight for the Fall last year, Sonny uh, on the buy-in was in the opening match uh, against Peter Avalon, the librarian. And With the Sonny cheerleaders and the whole deal. It was a cool presentation. But now a yeah. year later, a title shot, man. It's cool. It's yeah. very cool. And uh, I can't say enough good stuff about uh, Sonny and how hard Sonny's worked in the past year to get here. That video with Joey, it's funny because, uh, you know, your old friend, uh, DDP's production company, Comeback Studios, worked with them to produce that with Joey and Sonny. And the original they came back with was like a short film. It was awesome. But again, having been uh, sitting in a very similar position to you, I had to cut that thing down <laughs> a lot. And they, they wanted the longer version of it. And I just oh, sure. Of course they did. They wanted a two hour movie. <laughs> it was great. It was great. I just couldn't, you know, I had to get it down to like a minute and a half or whatever. Uh, but uh, what aired was, it was awesome. I think the full thing they shot was even better. Uh, just as so often happens as you know, better than anybody in two hours minus commercials, there's only so much you can do with, mm. with Co- Cody. I wanted to ask you specifically, uh, Cody's such a great creative person. You've had this, uh, great, uh, experience with, uh, the Rhodes family. You know, you've worked with Dustin and obviously so much with Dusty Rhodes. Uh, I, uh, really enjoy working with Cody and I know Cody, uh, thinks the world of you. Uh, and, uh, something is a vehicle that I thought would be very cool that he's, it's really grown into and, uh, become a thing for Cody is the TNT championship. I wanted to ask you if you like that, the TNT championship, because I thought it was something, I, I don't know if you think it's cool, but I thought it's a cool way to kind of brand, instead of a TV title, kind of really beat people over the head with the partnership. No, I, I, and if that was the intent to, instead of doing a TV title, which hasn't really meant a lot over the decades, and to try to reinvent that title and 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 brand or, or co-brand with your television partner makes a ton of sense. You know, my only one reservation, just to be perfectly honest, is if, if we were pri- privately talking, I would answer this the same way, is, you know, sometimes too many bells can get confusing for the, sure. for the audience and you, you start losing track of what's the most important or where the priorities are in terms of belts and things like that. But, you know, aside from that, I think if you're going to do it and branding yourself with your television partner is a damn smart idea for a lot of reasons. Thanks man. I thought it would be cool. And the TNT title, I had to convince them it was a good idea. And then all of a sudden, once they realized how great a a marketing and branding opportunity, they thought it was great. Uh, But um, I I brought it to them and the timing of it was very good because uh, through the pandemic in April, you know, Conrad, I know watched the show very closely. Uh, I could tell you it was a huge pivotal thing for us that we had that TNT tournament because it was so much of our content 
uh, in the month of April. You would have really, uh, I think, appreciated this, Eric. Tony, because he was there for so many of the crazy last-minute writing sessions of WCW, I, as much as anything to keep me sane and just to make sure to double-check myself, I, I grabbed Tony and brought him out to my trailer before we taped all these shows so that I could like just make sure, like, this makes sense, right? Like, all the stuff we're doing. And uh, Cody was going to wrestle a match. I didn't really have anybody else that I could bounce ideas off of, so I brought Tony back, and I, I was – he had said all the tapings you guys did in WCW, they had never taped as much. It was based on necessity as we were able to kind of get done and get taped. It was a miracle for us. And I don't think anybody's ever been in that kind of circumstance where we really felt like we wanted to get everybody home with the state shutting down. So it was like, let's just tape as much stuff as we can before we do this again. And we agreed we wouldn't reconvene until we could do it safely, which was, you know, we did in May with, testing at every show and a bubble at every show. Um, but you know, with, with Tony and, uh, his experiences with you, it's just, uh, it's funny how things have come full circle because I don't know if there's anybody, uh, that's seen as much of the different places, uh, you know, obviously as the two, the two of you guys and, uh, both having worked in WWE and WWF at very different times, but you guys have both been up there and your experiences in WCW and, and now what he's doing in AEW, it's, I'm glad that you get a kick out of uh, seeing Tony and Jim because I get a kick out of seeing them too. You know who else you have on your team that's just a diamond in the rough? I said this to Conrad a year and a half or two years ago when it was first announced. Keith Mitchell. Now, the, I'll tell you my experience with Keith. All very good. ton of respect for him. It's really hard to get him to come out of his shell it's hard to get him to kind of stand up in the meeting and give you his creative ideas. I mean, he's a producer. He's, he, he's, you know, he gets the job done. He makes sure the show gets on the air and it, it, it does exactly what it's supposed to do from a production point of view. But Keith is really an incredible creative resource if you can choke it out of him because he's reluctant. But, man, he's really good, too. He's really, really good. I agree. I agree. I love Keith. I have such a great relationship with him. and. That's the other person who's seen so much. I mean, that he's the one person who's never gone up there and never worked there. Uh, but, um, you know, Keith is, I always say when I, you know, brought him to the network and uh, tried to get Dynamite on the air, he was a huge asset. And when I went around and took meetings, Keith was the person uh, who I took to a lot of the first meetings with me uh, when I started this. There's a guy named Chris Harrington who's known for doing uh, statistics and for having kind of the economics of wrestling and he'd worked on a WrestleNomics blog and uh, Chris and Keith were like two of the first people I hired uh, and, or at least in Keith's case, tried to hire just, you know, talking to him and uh, tried to get Keith to, to come do this with me. And like you said, it, it took me a while to get him out of the shell, but right away we hit it off as people. And uh, I have all the time in the world for Keith and he has great ideas and you're right. You may not always hear him in, the production meeting but as you go through on the day of the taping like keith will have some great idea about moving the set or having somebody do a run in this way as opposed to doing a run in that way and that's the stuff that really uh can make the show click and he, the team he put together in terms of set design and uh in terms of you know obviously like you said how they shoot the show and uh the camera and directorial guys keith's really first class and I, I, not just in WCW, but I guess you would have also in, in Impact and TNA would have worked with right. Keith a lot. Um, yep. He's great. Great guy. 
You made a mention, Tony, that uh, Keith was one of the only guys to not work up there. Of course, Eric made a big splash in WCW when he signed Hulk Hogan away from the WWF and he landed in WCW, the big ticker tape parade. And when uh, Jericho made his debut for your company in Jacksonville, a lot of people said, oh, he's, he's the WCW Hulk Hogan. He's the AEW Hulk Hogan. What'd you think of the comparison making the, uh, the comparison to Hogan jumping to WCW and then Jericho jumping to AEW? I love the comparison, and I actually made the comparison to Chris's face in uh, 2018 when we were first getting going with this, uh, that I thought he could be to AEW, which was just an idea on paper at the time, that he could do for us what Hulk did for WCW. Not, I mean, WCW, in, it's, in, it's very different because WCW was already an entity with television on TBS, and T, TB, well, TBS before uh, Hulk Hogan showed up, and you guys had syndicated shows, and and there had been glue toys and you guys at home video and so many things going, we were just starting from scratch. So we needed Chris that much more to get off the ground. And uh, even though you could, you know, debate who's uh, been the bigger box office star and obviously Hulk Hogan probably uh, at times uh, is the biggest box office name. I think there's ever been in wrestling uh, that Chris, as far as anybody who was active and a big star, I don't think there was anybody you could get that's a bigger star in the wrestling business that could, could wrestle on a weekly basis that would, that would participate. But the other thing I said to him was it was a chance to basically do something very different, uh, give back in a different way to the business because Chris is all about making stars and Chris will put people over and has never hesitated to uh, in the right situation. And Chris did so much to build up John Moxley uh, and uh, Chris is uh, one of the most, uh, uh, thoughtful and uh, creative people, but Chris is also like a really giving person. So I thought I, I made that comparison myself. I thought of it and then I thought it was very flattering and positive when people made it about us, because obviously when Eric signed Hulk Hogan, it was a hugely successful coup and it really started uh, a lot of the things that I, and I, you know, all the great things you did, Eric. So I, I, I took it as very flattering personally. Well, I think one of the advantages you have with Chris over <clears throat> what we had with Hulk, and when we signed Hulk in 1994, his contract was so limited with us intentionally because, you know, I think Hulk felt and we agreed that too much of Hulk Hogan would lose its impact and effect over the long term. So we, the first agreement we entered into, uh, Hulk only owed us four pay-per-view dates a year. And then I think three or four TVs leading into each pay-per-view. So you probably had 16 TVs and four pay-per-views a year. That was the extent of his contract. Whereas with Chris, you know, he's, he's working full time. And that's a big advantage because you could build story around that. It's no longer just an attraction that you have to restart a whole new story and reintroduce the attraction every single time. Like it's the first time. Here with Chris, you can enter into a long-term story in a program, and that that's a big advantage. You're right; it's a huge advantage that Chris was you know willing to give us his calendar and set aside the time and be there every week. And like you know, Chris loves wrestling. Like, there's nowhere he'd rather be. Like, he has the most fun. The stories that uh, a lot of our time uh, when you know after shows uh, when I talk to Chris, he always tells me the stories of the WCW worldwide tapings that it was like the most brutal schedule for these guys in the morning. And I've like, he's never seen more hungover wrestlers 
in one place. <laughs> and uh, to me, uh, I've always uh, watched those shows and I've always enjoyed those shows, but I got a new uh, context and a new sense of those shows and I've since watched them uh, with the benefit of Chris's hindsight on them. Yeah, that was uh, there was a lot of good things that happened as a result of those tapings. And there were some not so good things happening, but it was, you know, it was, it was fun in a sense, you know, because up until that point, when we started shooting at Disney MGM studios, the shows just traveled, you know, we shot all of our syndicated shows traveled. Um, you know, we just shot them while we were shooting, you know, um, WCW Saturday night or the Sunday night main event shows. But once we got to Disney and we were shooting like from 10 o'clock in the morning to five o'clock in the afternoon, six days, eight days, 10 days in a row, but you're done. You know, we were done working at like five or six o'clock and then all the talent was staying at a, uh, a Marriott residence in and they had pools and everybody had a barbecue and it was like one big party for five nights in a row. Yeah. So yeah, by the third or fourth night, people were dragging ass by the time they showed up to the, to the sound stage for sure. <laughs> well, that's, I think the other thing was that the biggest challenge I bring it up is like taping in the morning. Uh, which I yeah. think would had to be hard because I can't even imagine trying to tape with guys in the morning. Um, so that was when I've heard those stories and I go back and watch and he was like, yeah, that matches at 9am and I was dying. It gives a new perspective. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the matches everybody is going to be talking about this Thursday morning is FTR taking on another one of the tag teams. People argue is the best in the world. The Lucha bros, Eric, you're certainly familiar with, uh, FTR. Uh, you know them perhaps under a different name, but the Lucha Bros, you're a big fan of these guys. Who you got here, Eric? FTR, I'm excited to watch them because I've got something to prove. They're, they're, they're fresh out of one camp and into another, and they've got something to prove, and that's always fun to watch. I totally oh, yeah. agree. And, and of course, uh, one of the other big matches that have been promoted, the Elite, uh, some of the founding fathers here of AEW, Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks are going to take on Jurassic Express. And Eric, you're pretty impressed with, uh, Luchasaurus and his background. Who do you got here? Jurassic express or the elite Kenny Omega and the young box. I'm feeling elite. They've just got so much momentum behind them. They really, really do. Um, big fan of Kenny Omega. Haven't seen a lot of them. Um, but what I have seen of him is really, really impressive. And the box Conrad, you and I covered, uh, what was the show that we covered? Didn't we cover an AEW show yeah. about a month and a half or two months ago? The very first AEW show in Las Vegas last year, it was the Lucha Bros and the Young Bucks. You loved it, but you just picked FTR, but here you've got the Young Bucks. So they really caught your eye, huh? They did. They definitely did. I'm looking forward to this. It'll be a fun night. And, and now, especially that I got to meet you, Tony, I'm even more invested. So I can't wait to watch it. I really appreciate you doing this. I think a lot of people will probably get a kick out of this. And I think this will bring people in. Uh, to watch this that probably we're not necessarily going to watch our show. And I think there's going to be people that are going to watch this that have never seen any of our shows because they're going to be really interested in seeing this. Uh, I'd be remiss if I also didn't uh, mention your guys' great podcast. I think I brought it up a couple times, but 83 weeks uh, looks back at what is such an important time in wrestling to, to me as a fan, to, to so many fans, and also to us at AEW because without what you guys did, and building that track record of success on TNT, I don't think they would have taken this chance on us. So please, if there's anything uh, I can do to support 83 Weeks and also here just at, you know, plugging 83 Weeks here on our channel, uh, I just wanted to mention that for you guys. 
No, we appreciate it. We appreciate it. We absolutely appreciate it. And don't forget tomorrow night at the, uh, or Wednesday night, rather at the conclusion of dynamite, which is happening on TNT 8 PM Eastern. That's this Wednesday. It's fight for the fallen at the conclusion of that. You can join Tony Schiavone right here on the post show on the AEW YouTube channel. I think that might even be another WCW innovation of sorts, Eric. I think you started pre and post shows online back in the day with guys like Jeremy Borash and Mark Madden, but Tony Schiavone, man, he's just all over this. There's so many similarities between you guys, Tony. I think in my research, I learned today that I think both of you guys were 37 years old when you started running a major wrestling company on TNT. This is a little bizarre. Is it not Tony? That's awesome. That is wow. a cool fact. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Well, hopefully your liver's in better shape than mine was when I was in thir- when I was 37. And- <laughs> I'm trying, man. I'm trying my best to cook. The quarantine uh, made it a little bit easier uh, for a while there, not seeing people. Uh, so uh, honestly, it probably went as long as uh, I've gone in a long time without having a single drink. But uh, then, uh, you know, 4th of July happened and... Uh, uh, we saw some Boy, did there. it ever happen. <laughs> oh man, did it happen. <laughs> it was great. And for, uh, for, uh, you know, for us, uh, I just have to say, uh, I, uh, I can't thank you guys enough for doing this. And, uh, for, for us, you know, I, I'd love to take one more chance to plug, uh, the AEW fight for the fallen website, AEW fight for the fallen.com. We're taking charitable contributions to Florida's first coast relief fund and defeating Northeast Florida. Uh, and also, if you buy a t-shirt at ProWrestlingTees.com, the, the Fight for the Fallen t-shirt's the number one shirt. And uh, it'll be right there on the front of the page. And all of our profits and all Pro Wrestling Tees profits are going uh, to those charities. Um, and Eric, I, don't, I think actually Conrad just reminded me, this is actually maybe the second time we spoke because I think I – Asked a question on one of your prodigy chat chats 25 years. Oh wow. <laughs> so, and I'm sorry for the smart ass answer that I'm sure I gave you. <laughs> I'm sure it was fine. It was uh, I, those are really fun. Uh and uh I've uh learned a lot so much from you and uh, I appreciated you doing those and I think you were way ahead of the curve on a million things including being engaged with that online audience when you did those. I actually almost never used prodigy i think when we first got the internet we got like all the different copies of prodigy aol but i was almost always on aol but i did get on prodigy for your chats so you you drew for them but you didn't draw enough to keep prodigy in business but <laughs> hey i didn't draw enough to keep wcw in business either so <laughs> wcw you're still i mean with the stuff you guys did and draw i mean it was uh it was, to the end is remarkable the viewership you had to the end is remarkable and uh, through the peak of it, what you built, uh, the juggernaut you built allows us all to be here and we all stand on your shoulders and, uh, live in your shadow. So thank you. No, thank you everybody. And don't forget, join in the fight over at AEW fight for the fallen.com. 100% of your donation goes directly to Florida's first coast relief fund and feeding Northeast Florida. And if you're into it, man, you got to pick up this shirt, go check it out for yourself. Shop AEW.com. And remember 100% of the proceeds go directly to this fund. And uh, then, of course, join us on Wednesday night. Fight for the Fallen. It's Dynamite live this Wednesday on TNT at 8 p.m. Eastern. And uh, be sure to check out Eric and I this coming Monday on 83 Weeks. Hey, man, want to make this the best summer ever? What if you could get rid of your credit card debt and lower your monthly payments by five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month? But what if the little cherry on top was no house payments for two months? 
That's right. No payments in August or September. You're done until October and come October, you're going to have a better mortgage, but don't take my word for it. Ask Kenneth in Hazel Green, Kentucky. He says, all I was trying to do was refinance down to 10 years in order to set me up for retirement without a mortgage payment. After telling first family what I wanted, not only did they get me a shorter term, but they were able to reduce my payment and cut my interest rate in half. I could not be more satisfied with the process and the outcome. If you're looking to get out of debt faster and with cheaper monthly payments, and maybe even get rid of all your credit card debt, man, you've got to go to savewithconrad.com. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. Even credit scores in the 500s can qualify. And because we're licensed in more than 40 states, we can help more families than ever before. So what are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save right now for free at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. That's savewithconrad.com. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.